0: Uh, We are continuing this morning a sermon series. I got to fix this little earpiece or I'm going to lose my mind. All right. Um, We are continuing a sermon series this morning through the book of Ephesians. And um, today we're in Ephesians chapter 2, as Ansley read, verses 11 through about about 17, and this is a two-part sermon, Um, so I'm going to kind of toss up the ball here today, then Resurrection Sunday, we're going to preach the gospel resurrection story, Um, and then Pastor Justin will come in the next week and kind of do part two of this and finish out uh, chapter two. But the name of this sermon series is In Christ Alone, and then the subtitle, is The Life and Church That Christ Builds, all right? The Life and Church That Christ Builds, meaning it is not just about your life, but it is about our life as the church, as the people of God, and so for the next several weeks, we're going to talk a lot about the church and about church membership and what it means to belong to the church, what it means to be a part of the church, that your membership should be meaningful, that attendance does not mean membership, it does not mean belonging, but that you, if you are a follower of Jesus, should be in a covenant relationship with the people of God called the local church, and the importance of those things that we see from Scripture, and so we have seen up until this point that a lot of it has to, has, that we've been seeing as as God has been reworking our identity is that he's ch- telling us that you're chosen, that you're forgiven, that you're the adopted ones, that, that you are the inheritance of God and that That God has a plan to the praise of his glorious grace. We've seen this over and over. We began chapter 2 with this idea of of Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, painting a really desperate picture of you and I. And then we had that, that great passage where it says, But God, those who were once dead are made alive in Christ Jesus. So, a lot of what we have been covering has been about a, uh, though he is speaking a lot of your, we, um, a lot of the truths are dealing directly with your individual um, identity. And yet, Paul is going to transition some again today in the next several weeks of not just looking at your identity, but looking at our identity if we've seen anything over the last several months of curving these first few chapters, is that, that God is in the business of reconciling us back to himself. And that God does this through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, That, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and to make us one, to unite us with Christ. If, my, if I have any sort of aim this morning, other than to be faithful to God, to his text, and to shepherd you well, it would be for you to see this, that, that God has reconciled us in Christ to himself. God has reconciled us to others, which is what we're going to cover a lot today. Um, and, but God has also it called us and reconciled us to his mission. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be covering, looking at that those sorts of ideas. As Paul transitions from this idea of just saying, not only are we one with God, but if you're a follower of Jesus, we are one together. We are the church. And that Christ is building his church in and through the person and work of Jesus. So we get to verse 11 in chapter 2 today, and it says, Therefore, remember, remember. Again, we come to a context where Paul is reminding us. Paul will often say in his letters, you need to be remembering this. You need to be reminded this. I mean, Paul's the kind of guy who shares his testimony in one of his books and one of his letters and in a few chapters, he, he tells it again. He's constantly reminding them of the foundations of our faith. Basic Christianity. Because our, our temptation for every one of us in here is to forget. Anybody have some ways that you try to help yourself remember. Maybe it's a thing on your phone that will send a reminder uh, for me. Um, Do you guys remember palm pilots? Remember when everybody, I mean, just exorbitant amount for a palm pilot. That lasted for like two weeks, right? Um, My palm pilot is my hand. That's my palm. I write on it to remember things. I actually have a note right there, and it says P or P right there. Because I forgot something on the way here, and I'm going to tell you what that means here. I did not do that for a sermon illustration. It just happened that way. No joke. Because our our temptation is, is that we forget. We forget. We forget where we came from. We have forgotten who we were. Okay? And when we forget that, then we will soon forget all that Jesus has Done on the cross, we will become numb to it. We become kind of, uh, you know, just a spiritual amnesia toward the person and work of Jesus. See, the reason why many of us are not living faithful lives today is that we've forgotten. And Paul is going to tell us today to remember. To remember—that's what Resurrection Sunday is about. It's remembering what the resurrection. And today, Paul is going to help us to remember. says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So Paul is writing this church, this baby church that is, is filled with people in Ephesus and in Asia Minor who were what we call Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, all right? So to my knowledge, every one of us here in this room are Gentiles, Now, if you remember back to our description and text and context of what's happening inside of the church at Ephesus, who are these people? These are some wild people. They worshipped Diana or Artemis, this goddess that they believe fell from heaven and that this meteorite landed in their city that was in the shape of this woman. They worshipped her. They did a lot of sexual immorality in the forms of worshipping of her. They had temple prostitutes. I mean, there's just all of this pagan spiritual worship that is happening in these people's lives, but God... But God showed up and redeemed them. God showed up and saved them. God showed up and transformed them. And so several years later, Paul writes this letter and he's telling them that they need to remember something, that they need to remember where they came from. They don't need to forget those things. They need to, in order to to seek and to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, they need to remember that they were once cut off, that that they were once divided. See, brothers and sisters, there are several divisions that Paul is writing to these people, and he's trying to explain that on one hand, you have the Jews, and on the other hand, you have all of the Gentiles. And brothers and sisters, friends, there was an infinite amount of hate between those two groups of people. And now they're sitting in church together. See, I would contend to you today, I would argue with you today that one of the major themes of the Scripture and one of the major things that Jesus both preaches into and lays down his life for is the the perpetual racism that we see inside the Scripture. That there are many occasions, whenever you read a passage that may say something like, um, you know, for God so loved the world that whosoever, that one of the underlying truths of God so loved the world was to show its readers, who were primarily Jewish when they were reading the Gospels, that that salvation and the Messiah was not just for them, but it was also for the Gentiles. See, that doesn't wreck us. But it would have wrecked them. You think the civil rights movement of, uh, of, of our you know, American history was something to be embarrassed by? The racism that occurred in our city, it does not compare to the racism that we see. So when the Bible says, whosoever will come... Again, one of the major implications of that statement is that God is saying through these Jewish writers to Jewish Christians, hey, the gospel is not just for you, but the gospel is for the Jew and the Gentile. We'll see the depths of that division as we go along here. One of the dividing things between the Jews and the Gentiles was a religious division. We see this inside this passage. What does it tell us? We, we, the Jews, they know God. But you Gentiles, you have been separated from Christ. What are they saying? They're saying, "Minute, at one time, Gentiles, don't forget, you knew nothing about this Jesus guy. You knew absolutely nothing nothing. You are an unreached people group. Until God showed up on the scene. But this caused a division. You got these people, and again, we could go through church history, we could go through human history, you could go to a class up here at Western, and you can learn all about all the crazy pagan religions that are in the world. Again, the world is not less spiritual. We are prone toward false spirituality, And so there's all of this worship toward all of these other gods, and the Jews are over here going, all of those gods are ridiculous. We have the one true God, and a Messiah is coming. You just wait. You've got us in bondage. You've got us in slavery, you Gentiles. You just wait till the king of kings shows up. So it created nationalistic pride. Look at what we have, Jews. Look at what you have, you dogs, you Gentiles. And they literally did call them the dogs of the earth. So we see this idea that there are religious divisions. Paul is saying, remember who you were. You worshiped the goddess Diana before God sent us to preach to you the gospel. You knew nothing of this Jesus. There was another division. It was a cultural division between these two races of people. See, God had given who? The law. The Jews. And because God had given the Jews the law, what did they do again? They, up, they swelled up with a nationalistic pride that we had the word of God. And inside of that word of God, there were all of these feasts and, and rituals and ceremonies that distinguished them from the rest of the world. Right? Right? Have you ever been around a Jewish person? About Friday afternoon, where can they be found? At home, right? Sabbath. From Friday night till, till dusk at, on Saturday evening, that is their Sabbath. They've got, you know, they wear different clothes. We have some Orthodox Jews in our city, and you can see them with the tzitzi. It's a, it's a braid that comes off of their undergarment and hangs down. It's to remind them of God's character, His name. Each of the knots. I have this whole spiel I could go through. I don't have time. Um, They, they'll wear. You know, they get the the cute little curly sideburns. I mean, there are rituals that, because of God's law, that make them distinct from the rest of the world. And now you're sitting in a church where you've got these Jewish people who have now become believers and these Gentile believers. And and God's law tells them they can't eat bacon. And the Gentiles, they eat bacon. Like lots of bacon. To the glory of God, they eat bacon. Bacon. Right? And so, how, when you come to these two different cultures who are now gathering in the same place and it's time for a Sunday potluck, do you offer bacon? But these, 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 these ideas and these divisions, even outside the church, you have to understand, these Jewish people would have thought that you were the nastiest, I can't believe you are eating bacon. That is disgusting that you would eat such an animal as that or eat a catfish. Do you know what that is? It's a bottom feeder or the cockroach of the sea that you would have some shrimp, you Gentiles. You are Nasty, deplorable. Like we hate you. There is enmity. There is hatred. They absolutely detest all Gentiles. You didn't even. You weren't even allowed or wanted to step into a Gentile home, or into even Gentile lands because you did not want to bring Gentile dirt back to the holy city. That's how bad they hated them. Do we forget the idea of the whole Samaritan issue, right? When the the Jews wanted to go north, there was this country, this land, this people group called the Samaritans in between where they were and where they wanted to go. And, you know, the straightest, the shortest distance, the quickest distance is a straight line, right? And yet what would the Jews do? Instead of traveling right north, going right through the land of Samaria, they would travel all of these miles Away because we're not even going to drive through this place. All right? Kind of like how you feel about Edmondson County. Thank God for I 65. You can dodge that place. All right? This is what is happening. These people, I can't, again, this is a hard sermon to preach to a lot of white folk who live in America because the disconnect of of where the scripture is and, and where we are mentally. These people hated each other. You can see here, if you look down at your scripture, notice it, what, what Paul does here. He says that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the quote, don't you love it when people talk like that? Maybe I don't wash properly, or if y'all, y'all know Saturday Night Live, Chris Farley. Okay, it's like quoting everything, or you'll have conversations with people and they want to quote, like, like every, like, if you do this too much, guess what? It has all lost its emphasis, okay? But Paul here, he, what's he do? He puts in quotations the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, okay? Now, what is Paul getting at here? We see inside the Old Testament that a sign of the covenant with God is What? that all Jews should be circumcised. Now, I've had experience by saying that word in a church before. You can ask me about it afterward. I'd rather not go into that. We have several children in the room today, okay? Um, children, go after your daddy after this is over. But it's quite a humorous. While I was preaching, had this whole conversation with the lady sitting out in the crowd about what this was. It was really awkward, okay? You were there, okay? So... Within Judaism, a covenant is always cut. There's always blood in a covenant. And to set God's people apart in this culture, he had them circumcised. All right? Now, they lived in a culture where where nudity was not always as perverse as it is in our culture. Okay? We're talking about bathhouses and, um, like, public restrooms where everybody saw everything and it became very clear in the locker room who was a Jew and who was a Gentile because the Jews were circumcised and the non-Jews everyone else was not and so why Paul quotes this it's meant to be a derogatory term Paul is saying, you've made this from the, gent- from the Jewish perspective that they're looking at you and using a, a derogatory term and saying, oh, like you're, you're nasty. You uncircumcised. That is dirty. That is unclean. That is unfit. That is terrible. Look at us. We're the circumcised group. See, these customs... These religious divisions, these cultural divisions, cause great hate and animosity between these two groups. And lastly, what do we see? There were racial divisions. The Jews prided themselves in saying things like, we had the blood of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We are the pure-blooded people. We Jews are them. And you are not. You are half-breeds. You go and marry Whomever and whatever, it doesn't matter their creed, it doesn't matter their color, but you go and and, and you join in relationship with them. But we, we are the pure bloods, and you are not. Many Jews during this day would actually pray this prayer. Oh God, I give you thanks that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. If you have ever seen a picture or a diagram of the temple in Jerusalem, the holy city, the temple is like the most holiest monument inside of Judaism. And in, inside of that, um, there were all of these courts. And so you had this outer court that was called the court of the Gentiles, And then going in just a little bit, because in the center of it, you had the actual temple. And inside the temple is the Holy of Holies. That's the Ark of the Covenant. That is where the physical presence of God was believed to dwell. One dude a year got to go into that room. Okay, Right outside of that room is a court for Jewish priests and for men... And then from that court, there's a court for ladies. So these ladies couldn't go where the men were, and not all of these men could go into the holies of holies. But outside of the women's area, there was even a further gate far away from the actual temple that was called the Court of the Gentiles. And each one of these different courts were led up by different sets of stairs and also walls. Archaeologists in the wall separating the area that is known as the court of the Gentiles to the the court of the, the women, is that there is this wall that goes around the temple and they have actually found these stone tablets that say this. Whoever is captured past this point will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. So what are they saying? They're speaking to the Gentiles. And they're saying, you Gentile dogs, you disgusting, deplorable people, you cannot come past this wall. And it was way away from the actual temple. You cannot come past it. And if you trespass, if you come across this wall, don't blame us when you're dead. We're going to kill you. We hate you. These dividing walls of hostility were in the hearts, were in the minds, and the physical representation of even how they did life. This is racism, and it is hatred in an exorbitant amount. All these divisions, they let the Gentiles, as the Bible tells us here, separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, strangers to the covenants, and having no hope without God in the world. Remember, therefore remember, that at one time you Gentiles, that's us, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. By what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth, the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Gentiles, mission church, remember who you once were. Remember. Remember who you once were look down at your bible because what does it say in verse 13 but now but now but now in christ jesus you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of god by the blood of christ we see here a very uh, a reflection of of what we saw earlier in chapter 2, right? You were dead. You were children of wrath. And then what happens? But God, but God as made you alive. Paul continues on in this kind of train of thinking. He's painting a very dark picture and wants to remind us, church, of where we once were in this great scheme of things. And he comes down and he preaches the gospel and he says, remember who you once were. You were cut off from Christ. You had no hope. You worshiped false gods. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That Jesus has done something. That God has has given himself, his word, a chosen people for a purpose of, of sharing it to the world. This is what he did to the Jews. And yet they, you know, they just refused to do it. See, God gave the law. He gave the hope of the Messiah to the Jews so that they could do what? Be a blessing to the nations. And yet, what did they do with the gospel? They hoarded it for themselves. They did not want people to get this salvation. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus comes to accomplish what they refused to do, and he does so by the cross. By his very blood, Jesus paid it all. He he rang out his blood upon the cross to reconcile you to God, but also to reconcile us as one in the church. And because of that, that means that the church is filled with every tribe, every nation, every tongue, comes together and forms the body of Christ. See, we should worship Jesus this morning. Why? Because by his blood, those who were once far off have been brought near to God. Have you forgotten your story? Have you forgotten where you've come from? And please hear me, I'm not saying that everyone who stands up here and give a testimony would stand up here and give us this kind of TLC, Hallmark movie, like this terrible. You ever heard those testimonies where it lasts like an hour, and for 55 minutes they tell us how terrible they were, and for the last five minutes they finally tell us the gospel? Right? Now, it's not to belittle that. But I want you to understand the extreme natures, even as Pastor Justin talked last week, is this idea of though, whether you were really religious like me, I was a church boy, or really rebellious like some of you, that both of you were dead. Both of us were equally dead. But, what? But God! And, and in that death, we, as an entire race of people, do you get this? That we, as an entire race of people, were also separated from God, not just individualistically, but also corporately. We have no hope. We are separated from God. We are the deplorable people on the planet. And yet, this God who was once far has been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You're covered in this blood. You're covered in the reality of what Jesus has done as the sacrificial lamb upon the cross. We've talked a lot about us being at peace with God, okay? So I'm going to spend the last portion of this sermon today talking about this. By the blood of Jesus, we have peace with God and we are to have peace with others. If we are In Christ then we have become one this is what some scholars have called the third humanity that if the Jews were a human a humanity and the Gentiles were the humanity that through the cross and resurrection of Jesus through the blood of Christ through his cross that he has united us into a new humanity This is what we see. By the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus, there are to be no more divisions. The cost of re- removing this division between Jew and Gentile was the very blood of Jesus. I and mean, if you considered this, that the very cross of Christ not only saved you from your sin, not only reconciled you to God, but has reconciled the races if you're in Jesus. See? Oh man, can't go there yet. Pray for me. The cost of removing the division between Jew and Gentile, was the very blood of Jesus. Therefore, the the church has no place for divisions amongst its people, whether that's economic, whether that's social, whether that's color, there is no place within the cross of Jesus for there to be these types of divisions. This is why Jesus would say in John chapter 10, verse 16, "And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd." See, brothers and sisters, the gospel is not that the Gentiles must first become Jews. And that's what the Jews were really ticked off about. Is there, that's what the book of Galatians is about, is that inside the church, in the early church, you got these Gentiles, you know, they're eating bacon-wrapped bacon, because there's nothing better than that, with the people over here who are thinking they're disgusting for eating bacon, kind of like if you have a church potluck and, and you have anything with mayonnaise in it, I'm going to be like, you are disgusting, but I love you, all right? Not I don't, mayonnaise is nasty. Unless it's wrapped in bacon to disguise the mayonnaise taste. All right? So you're, you're having these, these discussions. You're, you're having these divisions. And the Jewish Christians even believed, okay, here's the deal. We're totally cool with this Jesus thing. He is the Messiah. But before the Gentiles can really get it, they've got to become us first. They have to become our race first. And then they get to experience true salvation. So that's why you have the book of Galatians where you've got grown men And the Jews are walking in there and saying, Hey, like, I I know that you're 60 and you've not been circumcised. I don't know how that guy would know that. I'm just assuming. But for us to really be the church, you're going to have to circumcise yourself. See, our temptation is always to add to the gospel. That Jesus plus this work will equal salvation. And for the Jews, they're saying Jesus plus becoming a Jew will equal salvation. And what does Jesus do? He totally destroys that concept. How many of you guys have ever read the book of Romans? Okay? If you haven't, I'm telling you, there ain't nothing on television that you should be watching more than going home and reading the book of Romans today. I'll give you the the Cliff Notes version. This is the Franklin Simpson version right here, all right? Starts out, and it starts talking about the gospel, and then for a few chapters there, it tells us how bad we are as Gentiles, how disgusting we are as Gentiles. And you've got to believe that as they're reading this letter, the scroll in the worship gathering, that the Jewish Christians are sitting over there going, yeah, get them. Get those Gentiles, Paul. Paul. And then what happens? Romans chapter 3. Listen to this. While they're smirking, Paul spiritually throat punches all the Jewish Christians. And this is what he says. In Romans chapter 3, it says this What then? Are the Jews better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their, use, their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their, their paths are, are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So what is Paul telling us? that it's often been said that at the foot of the cross, it is level ground. That you Jews are as dead and are as deplorable and are as wicked, maybe even more so than the Gentiles. Because I did give you the word. Because I did give you the hope of the Messiah. Because I did give you the mission here on this earth. Please hear me. Look at me. Please get this. Listen, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would help us to hear this morning. Jesus' blood was, was not the payment for your new house. Jesus' blood was not the payment for your new car. Jesus' blood was not the payment for our closets full of clothes. Jesus' blood was not for the payment of your comfort, the, the payment of our entertainment. It was not... For the payment of our politics. It was not for the the payment of our retirement. It was not a guarantee of of money or a day out there in which you will be able to, you know, pick up seashells and and do all of these things for the rest of your life. This is not what Jesus has died for. Yet, Jesus has died for divisions between people, especially divisions centered on race, and so that they would be completely erased from the life of the church. Yet we often become more vocal and angry about those agendas than God's. My family stands to lose a lot of money with this pension plan. And several of yours does as well. Jesus didn't die for your pension. Jesus did not die for your your retirement. And we will get ticked, confessionally, ticked about that, but not get ticked about racism, which Jesus did die to end. That's a gospel issue. The racism, Jesus died for it, to end it in the church. But when we say Jesus paid it all, he is again not guaranteeing this pension. No, Jesus is your pension. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your retirement. And the reason we should get righteous, red faced, Angry at racism is because it is a gospel issue, and we play around with this mentality that it's not real, that it doesn't happen, and all of these people who feel like we've been racist toward them are just having emotional issues when the very Son of God came to die within the church, that his blood would end it. That's a gospel issue. If you want to get ticked about something, get ticked that today before the the clock turns 12, tonight, is that we're going to slaughter and kill about 3,000 babies. If you want to fill your Facebook page with crazy stats and things that you should get angry about, get angry about racism and get angry about abortion But not politics, because Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus is king. And I unapologetically get angry right now talking about it. Because it's a gospel issue. America is not a gospel issue. It's great. I love it. Proud to be American. Proud of it. But it's way down the list. You have a new constitution. It's the scripture. You have a true and better king. His name is Jesus. And we all fall, all of us fall into the trap of being more concerned and more passionate about things that Jesus did not die for. That the things he actually did die for. In Arizona, when we lived there, one thing was Completely true from the moment that we landed that we noticed. Is that in Arizona, people love walls. They have an asphyxiation, an affection, with concrete cinder block walls. They love them. Nikki can tell you, she went to school there. Lauren, and I lived there. Larry and Kathy visited there. Every house... Guess what it has? A wall around it. Guess what every neighborhood, even if you're like, you know, across the track neighborhood, has around it? A wall. It's walls upon walls upon walls upon walls. I think if we were left up to Arizonian voters, they would put a wall around the entire state, especially near the border. Because our problems are all the Mexicans. That's our problem. So we need to build a wall. They loved walls. It kept people out. And yet, in a country where there's lots of talk about building walls, there is there is no wall building in the gospel unless it is the gospel that's what separates us all of the things we build bridges so that what they can hear the gospel not walls to keep people out this wall of hostility is not the gospel the wall of hostility in our hearts toward people who don't look like us or, or smell like us or have the same amount of money or drive like us or have the same color of skin as us. All of those are from sin, Satan, and death because Jesus says that he has come to reconcile, to bring peace to those who were far off. Those who were not reconciled are now reconciled as one, as Jesus' church. May you remember your family tree when it comes to the Scripture. Brothers and sisters, when you read the story of David and Goliath, my favorite story as a kid, we make the mistake all the time by one, thinking that you're David, and you got a giant in your life, God's going to give you some rocks, and all of a sudden you're spiritually gifted to sling a stone and kill the giant in your life. He kills giants, and you're David. Anybody grow up in church? That's what you're taught. Guess what? You are not David. You know who you are? Goliath. You know who's David? Jesus. Apart from Christ, your family history isn't the Israelites, yet that's what we read. That's the first thing we go to. These are my people over there, and them crazy giants over there, and we're going to beat up these people. No, those people are you. You're the Philistines. King Neb, right? Puts the three Hebrew children in there. Got Shadrach, Meshach, and a banjo. They're thrown in the fiery furnace. Right? It's a bad preacher joke. And we think, you need to be a three Hebrew children. You're one of them. No, you know who you are. King Nebuchadnezzar. That's your family history. That's us. That's that's who we are. When when these pagan groups are, are worshiping false idols and they would take the hands of these golden statues and they would light a fire under them and they would take newborn babies and sacrifice their own children, allowing them to be burnt to death in order to appease those gods. And we think back and we go, oh, that is nasty. That's disgusting. No, we were the ones doing that. And I would contend that that's all that a modern abortion is as well. That's who we are. We read the story of the Israelites being let go of the Egyptians, and we automatically run to, we're the the Jewish people. Now, we're the Egyptians. We're the Gentiles. But now... But now through the blood of Jesus guess who we are We're both We are the adopted sons of God so is is David my brother Yes through the doctrine of adoption. That's how that came. We're, we're talking about the, the beautiful picture of, of seeing people on a divisive opposite ends coming together as the people of God. We like to say in church that church is is like a family, or or, or that church is, is, is secondary um, to your family. No. No, no, no. The church is not like a family. The church, if you are in Jesus, is your family. They are your family. We are not secondary. We are your primary family. And so what does that mean? It it takes a high priority. Now, I'm not saying that it's above marriage relationship with God, if you're married, marriage, then your church family. You have a responsibility. This is this is what it's like. I want you to get this this morning. And some of this is going to be really hard for you, for, hard for us. If you are a Christian this morning, I want you to know that right now, if you're in Christ, you have more in common with a Christian from the Middle East than a non believing white man from Christian County, Kentucky. I'm what? Ain't no way I'm American. I got an eagle flag on my chest. Three tiers, nah. Anything wrong with fighting for a country? No. Not necessarily. But when patriotism trumps Christianity, you got a problem. You got a problem. You have more in common. And we got to be careful because we're saying, I can't come here. They're all Muslims. I want you to know I've been in a Muslim country. Not all Muslims are terrorists. (laughs) You know, it's crazy, isn't it? and I've been treated nicer by Muslims than I have by church people. You've got more in common in the blood of Jesus than you have in your own DNA if they're not a Christian. And until we understand the beauty of that, that Jesus died for that. He died so that the church would be filled with, with that mentality, I mean, what does it take for a Holocaust survivor and a Nazi soldier to be in the same church? Or a terrorist and a patriot, or a virgin and a prostitute, or divorced people, or a UK fan and a Louisville fan, or a Republican and a Democrat, a Black Panther member, or an Aryan Nature member to become family? What does it take? It takes the blood of Jesus. It takes a supernatural power. It takes the type of peace and the type of power that can only be attributed to God. Galatians three twenty-eight: There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ. Galatians six fifteen: For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In Galatians chapter three, verse eleven. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Your social identity, brothers and sisters, is nothing compared to your spiritual identity in Jesus. And your spiritual identity should dictate everything that happens in your social identity. Identity. And how you give your money. That we have in this great country of ours a democracy that you get to vote. But you know what we're called to be? Not Democrat or Republican. What? Did you know that? You're called to be Christian. I read an article recently. You know how your, your Christianity has become too comfortable? When all you can do is line up with one party. Vote. Be faithful to that. People gave their lives for us to do that. We should do that. But when being Republican trumps being Christian, you've got a gospel problem. an issue. It should dictate everything. Your spiritual identity. But what we want to do is we want to make our social identity conform the Word of God. I love in John Piper's book, it's called Bloodlines. It's all about his kind of recovery from racism. He says this, the bloodline of Jesus Christ is deeper than the bloodlines of race. The death and resurrection of the Son of God for sinners is the only sufficient power to bring bloodlines, that's multiple bloodlines of race into the single bloodline of the cross. Notice in our passage today, verse 11, what does it say? Verse 11, the first word, everybody say it. Therefore... So whenever you read the Bible and you come to a therefore, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go back and ask the question, what is it there for? So you remember what he has said, and then you move forward based on what was said beforehand. What's some of the last things that, that, that Paul is telling us in verse 10 of chapter 2 is telling us about the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. And notice that one of the first things that he does in those good works as he goes into this idea is that through the blood of Jesus, within the church, there is an end to racism. There are all other things we wish he would go to there. But, it, but it's not what, what Jesus does. Isn't it interesting that Dr. Martin Luther King once said, I think that it is one of the tragedies of our nation that one of the shameful tragedies is that the 11 o'clock hour on a Sunday morning is the one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. I definitely believe that the Christian church should be integrated and that any church that stands against integration and that has a segregated body is standing against the Spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ and it fails to be a true witness. True? Look around. Mission. We, we should be grieving this morning at the lack of racial diversity in our worship gathering. I want you to know that the reason that we don't have a very diverse worship gathering this morning is because we don't have a very diverse home. See, we we can invite a few people of color to our gatherings and feel like we've got this down, they would never be welcomed in our home. When's the last time you've you've asked a brother or sister in Christ who is of a different color or maybe even non-Christian, how they feel from their perspective? When there are issues of racism in our country. Like when a young man is shot 20 times. I was so encouraged this week as a guy who, a lot of us listen to music by a guy named Andrew Peterson. And this week he put out a song we were able to sing with the Crosbys at uh, Behold the Lamb. If you've ever been to that, it's at Christmas time. Andrew Peterson writes a lot of Christ-centered God exalting biblically sound songs. And, and this week they released a, a, a video of one of his new songs. Hopefully, we'll eventually sing it here at Mission. And after the video was released, um, everyone loved the song. And yet there was major pushback that even drove Andrew Peterson this week to the point of tears and writing an apology, a public apology. Because in the entire video, there is not a sole person of color. And so before writing the apology, he contacts his friends of color and he apologizes. The reason that we don't have more diversity in our membership Because I believe that we're not sitting and having diverse relationships with people outside of here. According to an article in the the Bowling Green Daily News from 2014, there are probably new numbers to this, did you know that 10% of our population of Bowling Green, Kentucky, was born outside of the U.S.? This is the largest percentage of any city in the great commonwealth of Kentucky. And yet that 10% is not represented in our gathering. See, I think one of the worst things that we've done in Christendom is for a bunch of white folk to gather up a bunch of money to plant churches of color across town. Because that's easier. It's easier to write a check to fig- than to figure out how we're going to preach the gospel to a plethora of languages. I'm saddened when I hear Christian brothers and sisters, or professing Christian brothers and sisters, saying, yeah, we're considering moving out of our neighborhood because there's a bunch of Bosnians that have moved in. I think about Pastor Justin and Stephanie that you know, a lot of Christians would support supported them when an when a orthodox practicing Muslim moved in next door to him. And a lot of people would have supported the idea of, oh, we're gone now. As, as one of your pastors, I, I pray that you will join me in praying. That Jesus would empower us to become more passionate about the things that Jesus is actually did die for than the things that we are actually willing to die for. We must unite as one body and one accord together to fight the drift of being more passionate about the things that we love than our affections being toward Jesus and the things that he loves. And, and please understand me, I'm not throwing stones. We are all, some of us, are accidentally bent toward this way and then there are are, are some of us that are, are, are purposeful in being bent this way. And both need to be redeemed. Jesus says He's bringing peace between us and God, but He's also bringing peace amongst the races in the church. Jesus will say in the greatest sermon ever preached, He will say what? Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. See, brothers and sisters, I don't believe that this is something that we long for just in heaven. But I believe that it is something that we here at Mission Church, if we're going to be faithful, should long for and to illustrate and to reflect right now. You've grown up in church, you have heard that red, yellow, black, and white, that they are all precious in his sight. See, I long for the day where every tribe and nation that is in our city is represented in our worship. But please understand me, I'm not just talking about them sitting in the pews. I'm talking about, see, we had this mentality, this kind of white privilege, even white Christian privilege mentality, of that we want to make even the nations Christians like we are, in the sense of style. P or P. Will you choose your preference, or will you choose people? I'm not just talking about Asians and Bosnians and Burmese sitting here. Hey, we'll, by the grace of God, get all the language barriers worked out. And that'll be hard. It'll be difficult. I mean, I can't speak English. i make up words every Sunday. Yet I believe in the God of all creation who died so that would be not reflected merely in heaven, but that it would be reflected right here. No more walls. Let them come and let them preach the gospel to them. In such a way that you know what what should happen? That in such a way that we have a Burmese pastor. And he stands up here, and they speak Burmese, Okay, is that their language? I don't know what it is. Uh, Corinne, Corinne. Chin. And we have a Burmese pastor, and he doesn't preach in English. But he preaches in his native tongue, and we have to have another person speaking to us. Because see, our mentality is, he needs to preach in English, and we need to have somebody else translate it. I'm talking about where you, you can come on Sunday morning, and, I'm, and please hear me, I'm not talking about erasing sound doctrine for the sake of inclusion, but I'm talking about sound doctrine that sounds like southern gospel in worship. And then the next Sunday, so we, we, get, this, I, we get this, be thou my vision. All right, that's what we expect of everyone. I long to be a part of the church That Be Thou My Vision is done in gospel, and that means 2 times. And the next Sunday, it may be, Be Thou My Vision. And some dude standing up here swatting flies in the name of Jesus. Okay? And then the next Sunday, you, you have African Nigerians who are here. And I'm telling you, when you go and you see the nations, God's nations, and they're sitting in worship, and, and, I mean, a whole slew of women breastfeeding on the front row while I'm preaching. And the music is playing, and the drums and the Congos are going, and I'm telling you, and everybody's like, it's right here. Like that. All right? And half naked. And all of a sudden, one of them goes, yeah! sitting in the back row. This Reformed Southern Baptist was like, I went back to my Pentecostal days. So you know what I did? (laughs) I've been here before. These are my people. I'm Reformed, frozen, chosen. And inside, I'm an inward... Isn't that what church should be like? (laughs) Because... I want to be a place where there's a lot of biracial married couples here. Having babies, and we're all going to admit right now, their babies are prettier than yours. <laughs> they are. It's okay. We're cool. It's just the truth. What a picture of the gospel. I want to be a church where families adopt, white families adopt Indian children, or a black family adopts A white child. A church where people who were once divorced get saved and are reconciled. A a church where prodigal sons and daughters come home. A place where, where, imagine this first church when you've got these temple prostitutes who have become saved and the people who used to buy them are sitting over here. And now they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the prostitute is married and he's now married. Or maybe they got married to each other. How is this possible? How is this possible? Through the blood of Jesus. See that wall of hostility. What, is, what does Jesus say? He, he tells us that uh, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Brothers and sisters, the wall is destroyed. It was destroyed because what was blocking us from God, the only thing standing between us and God was Jesus. And He He tore Himself in two. And when Jesus died on the cross on that first Good Friday, the ground began to shake. Graves began to open. And the Bible tells us that that six-inch wide curtain between the holies of holies and where the priests come, that it ripped in two. And it, the wall of hostility is gone. And Jesus would even sent a in the 70 A.D. that that Jesus would even send another army to destroy all of the walls of the temple. Why? So that we become one. The gospel is not colorblind. The gospel appreciates all colors and says you are welcome. And if anybody should get that, it's us Gentiles Because we were once not, and now we are. Because the Gospel of Jesus has reconciled us to God, and now reconciles us. The hostility, the wall is gone. May we press in. May we fight for what we long for a physical experience of this picture long before we ever get to glory. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Because that's the kind of church Jesus builds. Let's pray.